Greetings, Crosspoint Church and friends. We're continuing our series today on how to handle what life hands you. And today, my subject is how to handle an attitude problem. An attitude problem, well, there are many varieties. It could be a critical spirit. It could be a consistently pessimistic viewpoint. Could be an intolerance uh, for people in authority over you. An attitude problem could be an intolerance for simply for other people's opinions. It could be a prejudice towards those of a different race. A prejudice towards those of a different color. I do believe that the crises, and I'm using the word crises there in its plural form, the crises these crises in our days is fanning the flames of unchristlike attitudes in our culture. So I want to talk to you today about your attitude problem. I want to talk to you today about my attitude problem. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of my heart today to see you. I want to see you. May that be the prayer of all of us as we look to your word this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what it means when someone refers to their Achilles heel? Let me tell you the story. Achilles was a great warrior hero, according to Greek mythology. And when he was a baby, it was foretold that he would die young. And so to prevent his death, his mother took Achilles to the river Styx, which was supposed to offer powers of invulnerability. And her intent was to dip his body into the water. But as the story goes, as she did so, she held Achilles by the heel so that his heel was not washed over by the water of the magical river. Achilles grew up to be a man of war who was considered invincible and he endured and survived many great battles. But in his final battle, a poisonous arrow shot at him, struck him in, you know it, in the heel. The only part of his body where he supposedly was vulnerable and he died shortly after. And so we have the expression today, Achilles' heel, which has come to mean an area of weakness, a vulnerable spot. Now all of us, I would suggest to you, all of us have an Achilles' heel. All of us have a, an area of weakness, a vulnerable spot. And I want to talk to you about one in particular today that plagues all of us sometime, and plagues some of us all of the time. And I'm speaking to you about attitude. I'm talking to you today about some inclination of your mind and heart that is not charitable. I'm speaking to you about perhaps an, an inflexible viewpoint that could not be described as Christ-like. It's, it's, it could be an intolerance for some class of people because of their economic level 
or their race or their color. Have you seen the movie Hidden Figures? If you haven't, I would highly recommend it. It's the true story of three brilliant mathematicians, three black women who were working for NASA in the late 1950s. Now, in the late 1950s, NASA was a very white world. And these black ladies in their work environment faced overt, not subtle, but overt racism daily. In one scene, one of the black ladies named Dorothy met her white boss, Mrs. Mitchell, in a newly segregated ladies' washroom. And that, that they went by Dorothy and Mrs. Mitchell speaks of the deeply embedded racism of that day. And, and the scene went like this. It started with a greeting, Dorothy, Mrs. Mitchell, and... and and, and then there was some small talk, and then says Mrs. Mitchell, you know, Dorothy, in spite of what you think, I have nothing against you all. To which Dorothy responds, I know, I know you probably believe that. Wouldn't most of us say, oh, oh, there's none of that attitude in me. And I would ask, do you? Really? Believe that? I wonder if there isn't some of Mrs. Mitchell in all of us. You know, even a casual read through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, explodes the most common myth about bad attitudes and our unkind inclinations, our biases, and yes, even our prejudices. And the myth goes like this. Well, we have little choice in this matter of attitudes, prejudices. They're just the result of our personality or of our temperament. They're a result of our inherited traits, our upbringing, and our life experiences. And really, these, these, they're ingrained, these attitudes. They're fixed. They're just part of who we are. Hear me. No. No, not true, that's a myth. Grasp this truth. You must, and the scripture we're going to read, these words are lifted right out of it, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had if you would live the life to the full that Jesus promised us. So let's, let's read now from the second chapter of the book of Philippians where Paul the Apostle gets very specific about this attitude business. Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourselves as better than, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others 
two. And here it is. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And now let's take our moments together, these next moments together, take, take a, a closer look at these Holy Spirit-inspired words of Paul, here are six ways to handle an attitude problem. Here's number one. Face the hard truth. Face the hard truth. And what is the hard truth? It's this. Each of us must be willing to say to the Father, Father, search me and know me and see if there is any wicked way in me. We need to be face the hard truth that perhaps we have a problem. No wonder attitude is addressed over and over and again in the Bible. And no wonder Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 13 was written. The reason it's written is because this area of attitude problems, it's your problem and it's my problem. There's an old gospel song that goes like this, it's me. It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. The song simply stating the truth. I'm the one with the problem. Why is it? Why is this problem so easy to see in someone else and so difficult to see in ourselves, this problem this attitude problem. Jesus said it best when he spoke these words. Why do you try to remove the speck of sawdust from your brother's eye when you have a plank sticking out of your own eye? It's been 28 years since Pastor Laurel Buckingham, longtime pastor over 40 years at Moncton Wesleyan, here in the province of New Brunswick. He and I traveled to a conference in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and on the way home, we had a bit of time between flights in the airport in Newark, New Jersey. Seven hours, that's a bit of time. And uh, it, that's too long a time to just simply shoot the breeze, and about five hours into this wait, that just the two of us together, we got into some serious conversations. And I asked this question of him. I said to him, would you critique me? 
Answer this question for me. What in me do you see as a, as a weakness? What, what in me do you see as, as, a, as a flaw? Do you see any tendency in me that could cause me problems in my ministry up the road? You know, when I posed that question back in that day, I, I don't know what I expected. I thought maybe he might say something like that, oh, you're, you're fine, you're a good guy, John, you have no problems, but he didn't. He answered my question, and he said, John, from time to time, at that time we served on the district board of administration for the Wesleyan Church here in the Atlantic provinces, he said, from time to time I've noticed that when things don't go your way, your attitude goes south. And he says, you need, to, you need to guard your attitude, and if you don't deal with it, he said, it, it will hurt you up the road. Well, do I need to tell you, needless to say, I spent the next two hours in the other terminal. I don't have to take that kind of grief from anyone. No, no, I didn't do that. I realized on that day, I, I, I realized that I needed to face the hard truth. I had an I had an attitude towards people who disagreed with me. And that experience, way back then, almost 30 years ago, that experience makes me look at other attitudes, other attitudes of mine that perhaps need adjustment. Do you need to do that? Shouldn't you do that today, face the hard truth? You know, I grew up in this very church, Cross Point Church. In those days, it was called Olivet. We used, to sing, we used to sing a song in Sunday school and children's church, and it went like this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow and black and white. They are precious in his sight. I reflect back on that, but none of us seem to be much concerned that we were all white and it makes me wonder, do we, do we need to wake up and face the hard truth? You have an attitude problem? Here's number two. So the first one is face the hard truth. Number two, focus on what we have in common. And I take you to verse two, we just read it. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. That's a tall order, agreeing wholeheartedly with, with each other, love one another, work together. You see, Paul is saying to that church in that mixed culture of his day and to us in this day, although people are of a different, differing racial and cultural backgrounds, we need to be of one in mind because of our common purpose. And here's what we have in common. We believe every person, every person is precious in God's sight. Every person has value in the eyes of God, value in the eyes of God, equal value. Every person in every circumstance, every person of every race, every color, every culture is a person that Jesus came to seek and to save. They're lost. That includes the brutal policeman who abuses his position. Jesus came to save him. 
That includes the, the looters who run wild in the streets of our country, in the country to our south, our neighbor, who run wild in the streets who are not really at heart the least interested in racial prejudice. We need to remember Jesus, Jesus died to save them. Hear me, the ground is level. The ground is absolutely level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same. We're all the same. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. What a strong statement. It says, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. And then the grand statement at the end of that verse, For you are all one in Christ. We need to focus on what we have in common. Here's number three. Forget about yourself. Verse three says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. When we're thinking about what others think about us, we're thinking about us. Paul contrasts selfishness with the attitude of Christ, and they are mutually exclusive. One, one excludes the other. Selfishness and a Christ-like attitude cannot coexist, can't happen. My dad pastored this church from 1953 till 1970, and he had some favorite stories, and this is one of them. Years ago, right here at Cross Point, we had a midweek prayer meeting, and it invariably went like this. The meeting would open by singing four or five songs, some the choosing of people who showed up. Be ready with your favorite song, we'd sing it. Then we'd have a time of prayer, when everyone present in the meeting would kneel, and then four to six would pray aloud, then a short sermon, about 10 minutes by the pastor. Then there would be testimonies, a brief word from the people who were present. People would stand and say a brief word of praise to God, and then often direct a remark or two about the subject that the pastor addressed in his sermon. And this night, in this story, the pastor's message was on selflessness, selflessness. Florence stood to give a testimony, and she said, when we gather here, I would be perfectly content just to be inconspicuous. I would be happy to just be behind the door where, the, where I was neither seen nor heard. Well, then as Elmer stood to give his testimony. And he said, I, I too have no desire for special attention. Uh, he said, I, I, I would just like to be behind the door with Florence. Now poor Elmer didn't know why that the folks in the meeting found that humorous. He, he, he really didn't want to, to be seen or heard. His heart was pure. He didn't want to be selfish. He just wanted to forget about himself. Don't you think, do you ever think, like me, if we, if we truly forgot about ourselves, do you think it's possible that perhaps we wouldn't even notice if Bill or Carrie or Jason or Judy were black or white or aboriginal? that we might not even notice. Lord, help us to forget about ourselves. Here's number four. To help you with an attitude problem, favor others' interests over your own. 
And I take you back to verse 3 where Paul writes, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Do you notice that? Better than yourselves. Not equal. He's saying go beyond thinking of others as equal to yourself. Think of them as better than yourself. And then he says, and don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in your others. He, in others. He's saying don't stop at just thinking, thinking good thoughts about others, thinking them better than yourself. Take an interest in these days of heightened racial tensions all around us. Can I ask you, how have you taken an interest, taken an interest in the people of color in your own world? Have you called? Have you, have you texted? Have you emailed? You know, sometimes we hide behind these words. Well, I don't know what to say. That might be a good thing to say. That I don't know what to say. I'm thinking of you. I'm praying with you. I'm praying for you. Favor others' interests over your own. Paul Powell was Secretary of State in Illinois some years ago. He was responsible for the licensing of cars and it was up to him who would get plate number one. And in an interview he said, it's a real problem you know. I'm not about to assign plate number one to someone and to make a thousand other people feel hurt. So his solution, he took plate number one for himself. No. The scripture advises us, favor others' interests over your own. Here's number five. Forego your rights. Forego your rights. Take you back to verse five. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, hear these words. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. If anyone was ever entitled to his rights, Jesus Christ was. You know the story. You've heard the story over and over the night before Jesus went to the cross. He was gathered in a room with his disciples. And the custom, the custom was that, that a servant would be present whose task it was to wash the dusty feet of the guests as they arrived. No servant showed up. So Jesus got a basin of water and a towel and began to wash the feet of the disciples as they arrived. But Peter, impetuous Peter, speaks up and says, No, no, Lord, not you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. Why? And his intent, what his meaning was, why, Jesus, you have the right to be served more than all the rest of us. But think of it. Think of this. The same hands... The same hands that moved over 
the formless abyss in the beginning and worlds leapt into being. These, those same hands, washed the dirt and the mud and the grime from the disciples' feet. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And the message to us is so clear, forego your rights. I wonder if most of the attitude problems that plague us inside the church in these days, in, in our culture today, if most of the attitude problems aren't driven by this conviction, I have my rights, I will have it my way, my, my, my. Ruth Culkin years ago wrote a very gripping poem, and it goes like this. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how, I eager, how eagerly I speak for you at a women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where no one saw and nobody knew. Forgo your rights. And here's the six and last. Fasten onto this truth. It's the secret of this whole thing. Here it is. Fasten onto this truth. It's Christ in me. And I take you back to verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And here it is. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You see it in the, in the end of this whole message, at the end of this whole message about attitudes, Paul is making what point? You can't change your attitude, he's saying. You can't do it. Yes, maybe we can be quite successful controlling our behavior and maybe even controlling our tongue. But in this area of attitude, Paul is making the point, and I'm emphasizing it, that it's God working in you to change those inner attitudes that plague you. It's either that or failure. And hear me, God can't. Maybe better said, God won't help me with my attitude until I'm willing to confess, oh God, it's me. Look in me. I have a problem here. I'm sorry. Please change me. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor John, I suppose ever since Pastor Buckingham brought that attitude to your attention all those years ago, I suppose you've never had a problem with your attitude since, right? Well, not exactly. Attitude is my Achilles heel. Still occasionally, would you believe it's only been a week 
Still occasionally, my wife says to me, John, I think your attitude is slipping a little. My, it's annoying. It's also necessary. But there's another voice. There's another voice that occasionally, always firmly, but always gently, always persistent and yet loving, nudges me about some attitude. And it's the same voice that speaks to you at this very minute, reminding you that your inability, what you see as an inability to live life to the full and experience the joy that you think Christians ought to experience, the problem is some unresolved attitude down inside. You must have the attitude, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, and he makes it possible. Let's pray. Father, look down deep inside this pastor, I pray, and remind me, and I know you know me better than I know me, that there are times I kind of slip into denial and resist your nudging and your urging. I pray for this pastor, and I pray for all of those watching, listening today. Father, help us to be willing to allow your spirit to probe, to nudge, to dig deep. And when you show us something that's not like Jesus, not kind, not loving, Father, may all of us be willing to say, God, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I can't change this, but you can. Change my heart, oh God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.